Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance. He's back in studio. He also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Uh, of course, now both of us coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Welcome back. We're always Welcome back, Drancer. No matter where I am, I'm in the Kintech studio. In spirit. Yeah, in spirit. The Kintech studio is really the friends we made along the way. And <laughs> It's a state of mind. It's more a state than of a, mind. So a physical where, location. If I'm, yeah. if I'm coming to you live from my in-law's house in Niagara Falls or from a hotel in Toronto or from a hotel in Montreal or from a rink, I did a full show in there the rink at the rink in Ottawa, too. No matter where I am, I'm in the Kintech studio. You're in the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And Drancer, you you rushed in from YVR this morning. Landed about an hour ago. Uh, would you say you are somehow in an even more grumpy mood than normal? Is that, I think is that, that a fair description? I'd say that's a real possibility. <laughs> I uh, I arrived so late to the airport, like one of those like pleading with everybody to go to the front of the line. Amazing. State of things. And then I get to the bag, the bag um, security thing, right? And they keep interrupting me to put like the items that they have to run through security. Like some, uh, someone brought a poop bag for their dog back, and like a, an extra belt, an extra pair of shoes. And so I kept getting interrupted. And then I'm finally ready, and I walk to go through the metal detector, and I realize I've left my sunglasses on my collar. Uh, so I take my sunglasses and I see my bag going on the thing and I reach over and I just like do a little toss to get them in my bag and the sunglasses hit between like I miss rimming out and I miss to a place where they are not retrievable <laughs> like they are literally not retrievable so they gave me a, a, a walking cane to try and like jimmy them up and I'm like trying but my flight's boarding I'm like it's like final call for a flight to Vancouver at eight o'clock I'm like oh my god like I literally have to leave my sunglasses here I left my sunglasses, and that was the that was the smoothest part of my travel day. The dedication, the dedication to make it back and deliver, deliver the takes. I, I will to say our this. Listeners. I will say this. I can't do my usual shtick today, my ranting shtick. Well, we'll see about that. Oh, oh sorry. Well, we'll You're see right. about that. Inevitably, I'm going to get mad, sigh deeply, <laughs> and then speak. 15 minutes straight uh-huh. about what's obvious to me and what other people will text in and say stuff like, you don't speak to the for the whole fan base, Drance. Stop pretending you do. But no, no, seriously, I can't do that today. I'm, 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 I may not be in perfect control of my instrument. Hey, that'll make for a good show, though. Well, we'll see. <laughs> um, but I mean, Drance, Drance, why would you go on a rant today? Canucks won, baby. Boys. Five, Boys. I play four our chase. Buffalo. It's back on. Let's fire it up. Well, you know, this comes back to our biggest material disagreement about this team, I think. You legitimately think they can get into the Bedard sweepstakes as they are. Well, let's define Bedard sweepstakes. Bottom five. No. Bottom eight. Not bottom five. Oh, that's not Bedard sweepstakes. I, that's, I, that's all I've said. I've said there's bottom ten, bottom eight is in play in here. here. But but to get worse than that, then they have they have to make the team worse. Okay, well, that's, that's what I've that's said. Roughly, like, that's I, what bottom, I've said. Bottom eight, sure, fine. That's, I mean... That's like, you can play at an 85-point pace from here on out and be within that, and this that's is, within the fat part of their bell curve. This is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm still waiting for 20 games to, or sorry, I'm still waiting for 30 games to pool before I abandon my priors about what this team is, right? My priors about what this team is, is, you know, 
and some of it we saw on display last night, right? Really good top six, opportunistic shooters, Mm -hmm. legitimate fastball power play can offset some of this club's issues and make them formidable night to night. And, And that was basically the script. Like, when I think about that game last night, I like the first period from the Canucks, but, you know, I like the first period from the Canucks in Toronto. Right? Like I liked the third I liked it the way I liked the third period in Montreal and the third period in Ottawa and the first period in Toronto on this road trip, which is to say, like, great. If you really want me to give this team some really like low bar credit, sure, they were fine. They were fine. They they built a lead and they were the better team as opposed to was this Buffalo Sabres team that has now lost six in a row. Like, great, good. You know, you want that, you want that, you want that for your positivity quiver? You you take that arrow, you put it in the back, you know? There you go. Your little prize for the day. But they weren't great by any means. The Buffalo Sabres looked faster all game. And at 3-1, there's this sequence where the Buffalo Sabres attack as a five-man unit through the neutral zone. And they come through, and it's this nice little pop pass and an absolute no-doubter wrist shot. And not just a wrist shot like from point-blank range, but from a guy who's skating like a million miles per hour. Ting! Off the post. Regroup. 25 seconds later. Exact same sequence. Buffalo attacks the five-man unit. Ting! Off the post. From almost the same spot. Exact same situation. Top quality player, skating a million miles per hour, in alone point-blank wrist shot post. And then finally, they do it a third time. A third time within the space of 90 seconds. Like I don't even know how you have three breakdowns like that over the space of 90 seconds as an NHL team at this point. Oliver ekman Larson, all he has to do is stop skating... Like, he literally has to work to avoid the hit. Pass comes to Jeff Skinner, no doubt or goal. And it's 3-2. And at that point in the game, Jamie, I thought to myself, oh my goodness, they're going to lose 5-3. Like, they, this, is, this is the Toronto Maple Leafs second period again. This is the Canucks literally cannot hang at all with this team once they've unfurled their fastball. And then JT Miller draws what I would consider to be a ticky-tack trip. Mm-hmm. And the Canucks capitalize on it. Lovely shot off of a set face-off play from from Miller there. And then the Canucks get another soft call and capitalize again. And that's it. Like, they once, they were bailed well, it wasn't, out. that wasn't quite it, though. No. Well, <laughs> it still ended up being no, 5-4. They still played Canucks-style defense. So, I want to say all of this in this context, right? We're 17 games in now? 17 games? Yeah. So I still need to see 13 games. I almost need to see an equal amount of games still before I am going to abandon my prior about what this team is, which is, you know, the the blue line's a big issue, but I actually don't think the defensive skill on the blue line's an issue. I think the defensive skill up front is an issue. I think we saw that last night, by the way. But, I, you know, I expected them to be, like, average-ish, maybe a little bit below average defensively with good goaltending. Instead, through 17 games... And I'm not prepared to, again, abandon my priors for this take. But where this is trending, this team looks to me like they're in the company of the Anaheim Ducks and the Anaheim Ducks alone as the two worst defensive teams in hockey. And we describe the Anaheim Ducks as? Unserious. Deeply. Our pal Dmitry Filipovich. Deeply unserious. That was his line. And it stuck with me, and they backed it up when they played in Vancouver. Like, legitimately, they're defending like crash test dummies, like pylons. Like, how do you allow three five-man breakouts like that? All absolute grade-A chances. Two posts 
and a no-doubter, like goalie moving from side to side, quality finisher, point-blank range, no chance. How do you how do you allow three chances like that in the space of two minutes? I, I honestly like it's hard for me to. You don't see that in practice. You don't see that in practice. Well, in the first Jeff Skinner goal, right? Rasmus Dahlin, incredible shimmy. I'm not even trying to pin the blame on Niels no, Hoglander no, no. here because a lot of guys get shook on that. Hoglander, Hoglander is maybe the least. But then there's another cross seam pass to a guy wide open, wide open at the side of the net at the back door. How many times have we seen that? How many how many times have we seen a cross-ice pass to a guy wide open on the back door for a goal against the Canucks this year? Watch that highlight, and you'll notice that Brock Besser, whose defensive results are truly abysmal in the early going. You, you guys know how much I like Besser, mm-hmm. how much I believe in him. He's tended to be at least a credible two-way option. He hasn't been to this point in the season. If you watch that play again, he doesn't scan left the way you'd expect a winger to in that situation, so he doesn't pick up Skinner, Right. Shen is too busy chasing on that play to switch with Hughes, so he doesn't see Skinner, and then Hughes just doesn't do anything. Like, legitimately, Hoaglander gets shook for a minute, or for not a minute, for a split second. That split second matters a ton in generating offense. But there's four other guys who are who are completely out to lunch on that play, too. That like the you know, and and that <laughs> That's not even a notable breakdown in in the context of the Canucks season. No, you're right? right. It's become run of the mill. It's it's become what you expect, what you expect to see on a night in night out basis. In that game last night, I think even if you were optimistic, which I I guess I would put myself in the relatively optimistic camp. I think I had them at like fifty five percent chance to make the playoffs. You know, going into the season about this team, you probably still expected there to be games that looked like that last night, right? That yeah, sure. You know, the offense bails out the defense because you know oh, yeah. there is flaws and the power play in particular. But the pro and the power play for sure. But the problem is outside of the power play. Like, the good that we saw last night, to the extent that we saw it, has not happened frequently enough. But the bad that we saw last night has been present in, like, what, all but a couple games? Like, all but the Pittsburgh game? All but game? one. All yeah, but one. All but the Pittsburgh game. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I like, I, I'm going to give them 13 more games to get this on the rails before I truly uh, abandon what I thought of this team going into the season. But they are trending to be one of the worst checking teams I've ever seen. Like, like legitimately, one of the worst checking teams I've ever seen. That's tough. That you know, it's it's tough to overcome that, and that brings us, I think, inevitably to the structure conversation mm-hmm. and the dark cloud that appears to be following Bruce Boudreau around. But but you know, it's like one of those dark clouds, like it's raining on Bruce Boudreau, but it's like <laughs> a movie set rain. Like it's really, it's really artificially above him. Well, by the way, I loved Boudreau after the game last night. Asked, was that was that a game you really you felt like you really needed to have? And his response, yeah, for a couple of reasons. <laughs> Fantastic. That was good. And I got to say, and we'll get into the implications going forward here and all that. I am I'm happy for Bruce Boudreaux. Uh, it's hard not to be. And now he's still in a miserable difficult situation, but he's still coaching, he's still finding ways to get wins. He's still as you say, you know, playing cards, not just shrugging and and, and throwing up his hands. Good for him. Good for him for getting the win. It's a really unfair spot for him, right? It's it's Unfair and it's mounting by the day as names trickle out from top insiders, right? Rick Tockett one day and um, who was it today? Uh, Andrew, Andrew Burnett. Burnett the other day. Because if you want a more structured coach, right, 
the guy who took over for Quenville halfway through last season and, granted, kept the Panthers chugging along, but then took 10 games and couldn't figure out how to break it down on 1-3-1 with a deep defender in the playoffs with the best offensive team in the last 25 years. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's the structure guy, right? Like, if if specific, if you're talking about structure, you need to replace Bruce Boudreaux with structure. Rick Tockett, I can understand, right? We all saw how that Arizona Coyotes team played possum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uglied it up. Andrew Burnett, look, he's having a nice run in New Jersey, had a good run in Florida. I think he might be a really good coach, but he's structure. That's not that's not the conversation. That's not the word that you apply to Andrew Burnett any more than it is that you than you apply to Bruce Boudreaux. At the end of the day, you know, there was some commentary while I watched the Maple Leafs broadcast last night talking about how Canucks management may feel that Boudreaux's relying on too small a group as opposed to a more widespread team concept and and that was on full display last night in well, terms of the minutes in a lot of ways. But but also, like, one thing that happens in dysfunctional workplace environments, and again, I, you know me, I like to generalize this beyond mm-hmm. a hockey team. I don't know if you've ever worked in a dysfunctional workplace environment. Me, Jamie. never. I have. I have in the NHL. And the thing that happens is that you find, like, a small crew of people you can lean on to execute and get things done with you. And those become your team, right? And whether or not they have the authority to decide on it, you, like, meet. You're like, this is how it has to go down. Now this is how we make it so that the decision makers think it's their idea, right? And you, like, orchestrate it and you lean on, you know, because the actual nodes how, of How can we circumvent are, the actual processes? How can we make it fly under the radar? How can we, whatever, pool our resources and our smarts How can we avoid get getting yelled at for holding this together, right? That That's what you do. Now, there are, like, six players on this team – that aren't holding like a 35% expected goals clip at five on five at this point, right? Like it's not like there's a long list of players you can lean on when you look up and down this roster based on their form, right? I mean, whoever's playing with Pedersen, you've got one line going, but most nights that's it, right? Whoever JT Miller's line has been has tended to be deeply underwater. Whoever Neil Zaman's line has been has tended to be deeply underwater to the point of being unplayable. Um, on defense, we know what we've seen from Oliver Ekman, Larson, and Tyler Myers. We know what we've seen from, honestly, like even Ethan Bear had a nice start, but it's like, I don't know that he's kept that up. Is he moving the needle for you? you? Are you really getting more from Ethan Bear than you are from Riley Stillman even at this point? Like Stillman, Bear, like Burroughs, Shen, Hughes, right? And even Hughes, I don't think has been up to his normal standard. So... There's not a lot of guys you'd pick out that, like, when the game is on the line, when the chips are down, as it were it was last night, that Boudreaux can sort of reach into his back pocket and, and pick out. You know, one one goalie, three defensemen, maybe four forwards. That's it. That's it. So, you know, what, what are you going to do when the five-on-five results of most of this team are at the point where were it not so widespread, you know, most analysts would say – you know, th- th- that's an unplayable number. <laughs> what do you do? I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what Bruce Boudreaux was supposed to accomplish. Like, I, it feels like. Well, but I think that's a big reason why we've seen Miller go back with Horvat, because if you look at their numbers apart and together, both of them have much stronger numbers together. 
right? And so uh, to your sure. point, you well, maybe that's not the ideal. You would love to have the, you know, the three centers down the middle and Miller centering his own line and carrying it. That just hasn't been a realistic thing this year. It hasn't happened. So you got to go with Miller and Horvat, and you also probably feel like you got to play JT Miller 25 minutes and Bo Horvat almost 23 minutes last night to eke out that win. That's the kind of position to you're eke in. Eke out the win against Buffalo in game 17 of the season, right? I mean, it's just you know, we're going to do this like here here's the thing. I still think that this team can get on a run. I still think that this power play can like help them eke out a few wins, especially if Demko finds his form and and so long as they stop being completely bludgeoned uh, on the penalty kill. And and frankly, I thought the penalty kill was pretty good last night. Like the penalty kill looked decent. And I also, I will say, for all my criticism of their defensive play in that game, I like the last eight minutes. Looked a little bit like Seattle. Looked mm. a little bit like the win over Pittsburgh. It's not like it's not like even the middle stack goal that made it five four was like from range, a weird bouncing play. Um, you know that that's not to me a really terrible goal to permit from a team concept perspective. I don't even think it's a soft goal for Spencer Martin. It's just like one of those goals that happen when a really good shooter makes a shot off a weird bounce in the in the high slot. Um, so I liked the I liked parts of the defensive effort. If I squinted hard enough, I could see the outline of a positive take <laughs> about this team. Uh, and and I thought the penalty kill looked fine. Well, and that's key. If they can get the penalty kill to a point where it's like seventy five percent, right? Like still bad, but just not absolutely historically train wreck awful. And if they can just play more like the twenty fifth best defensive team in hockey as opposed to the 31st that's probably going to be enough for Demko to rebound a bit or for Martin to keep playing well and for the power play to begin to win them some games especially considering you know for all of the frustration in this market this team has some things that are going their way right like Elias Pettersson's two-way results this season are through the roof like looming over the city like Grouse and Seymour is, is Elias Pettersson's two-way form this season. He's been incredible. Absolutely incredible. I, I don't know if you saw, like, Evolving Hockey does their goals yeah. above replacement. He's second in the league. And then you go and, like, cross-reference it with all the other underlying data things. And it's like, you know, like, the team's surrendering, I think it's, I think it's nine, like, uh, like, minus nine expected goals rate with Pettersson on the ice versus everyone else. It's like, it's, it's baffling how incredibly he's played. To be wasting those 17 games from Pedersen on a 5-9 and whatever, two-team, two three-team, mm-hmm. that's that's problematic. Bo Horvat's on a scoring tear like nothing we've ever seen from him. Wasted. Wasted. Right? There are things about this team that are actually going in their direction, and they're still full value. Full value for their results, right? This isn't all goaltending. This isn't, you know, this isn't unsustainable. And that's what worries me after 17 games. Even if I'm not prepared to pronounce this, you know, this team dead in the water or DOA or or what have you, like I'm I'm absolutely not there. Uh, I think Dom Lecision has them at 24% playoff odds, which is I, I think today it was down to 19. No, that was yesterday. I oh, checked okay. It this morning. Okay. 24 because of the win. Mm-hmm. So as a one in four shot, it's not great. It's not great, but it's not. They're not out of it. There's enough time to turn this around, and and the bar that they have to leap over is not that high, in terms of in terms of getting their defensive form closer to where we thought it was. It's just that I don't think we saw signs of life at any point on this road trip, and you know, certainly, certainly, even their like bull case, even their bull case at this point, 
surely we can understand isn't close to good enough to be worth <laughs> the investment of resources and future that have been put into constructing and supporting this team for a third consecutive dispiriting season. Uh, Dan in Fort St. John texts in, a thought I had last night, could be could Bedro be sticking it to the young guys like Hoaglander, Pod Coles, and Rathbone to try to pressure management to can him? That's Dan in Fort St. John. Bedro, he's I think he's just do it now. Look, we've I, I just don't I, we've credit I don't think he's like that. No, here's the thing. He's just doing what hockey coaches do, which is pick the guys that they think give them the best shot to win games. Yeah. Now, you and I might disagree with Boudreaux's evaluation of Hoaglander, but that's not a new thing. Right? No. He's been very, very consistent. Hoaglander was the low man in terms of minutes last night. That's not a surprise. That's well, how Bruce Boudreaux regards Neil Hoaglander. And you can see Hoaglander. it. He's not good defensively. My, my, my defense of Niels Hoaglander has never been he's good defensively. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, you can see it. He's not wrong about Niels Hoaglander. It's just that Hoaglander helps you win with other things he does and also teach him to be better defensively. <laughs> you know? That's give, what, give him the reps. That's what hockey teams do when you have, like, a really talented 21-year-old who scored at a really promising rate in the NHL at 19 and 20, indicating that he's pretty good. And his work – you know what I love about Niels Hoaglander? Lots of guys go on the fourth line and you don't get their best effort. You know, like all of a sudden you see them lollygagging yeah. and ooh, pouting and on and on. Niels Hoaglander gives 100%. And, sorry, and I want to be clear. Like usually usually if you put like a veteran player on the fourth line, they'll respond, obviously. I'm talking about like those young players that fans overrate, right? They'll go on the fourth line and they'll ooh. You just don't get the same effort or work, right? There were a couple guys in Vancouver in, in the 1920 team that played like that. Hoaglander always gives you that honest effort. I love that. I love that. Anyway, there's there's, I I just want to see them teach him how to be a better defensive piece, and I want to see him get the reps to accomplish that. But I I think when you look at how the young you know the minutes that the young players are getting, whether or not they're getting into the lineup on a consistent basis, even the distribution of minutes last night, and we can talk more about that. Well, OEL, we have to talk about the OEL minutes. OEL overall in, in terms of total minutes, fewest of any defenseman not on the ice in what the final five I and change. Was, I think it was four, four, it? four something like that. Yeah. But anyways, when you're closing out a one goal game. Yeah, that speaks volumes. This is a veteran defenseman signed to massive money and massive term on your team, and the coach is you. You it's it's usually not hard to find what coaches think of players, right? You you can tell by the minutes, the minutes they're playing them, and the time and the situations they're giving them those minutes. I'll always remember four years after this one, though. Yeah. So this can't if this if this is where he's at now, and and I'm holding out hope that he figures it out. But if this is where he's at now. We'll get into that in segment two because I can't get off on a rant here. <laughs> but I'll always the, the 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 situation that always stands out to me is in the final month or two months of Eric Branson's Canucks tenure. You know he had been he'd never been particularly successful here in Vancouver, but he'd always gotten minutes because they didn't have much else on the blue line. All of a sudden, he was logging like fifteen minutes a game, thirteen minutes a game, and you just knew Travis Green, the coach at the time was done. We did not trust him, did not want to play him. Lo and behold, boom, he's out not that long after. Now, it's not as simple with OEL, but the coach is showing you exactly how much he trusts that guy right now. It doesn't really matter what he says about it. He's showing you of his actions, and there's there's no trust there See, at I, the moment. I thought I was in a bad mood today, and then you brightened my day with some gratuitous Eric Goodbranson shade. 
<laughs> completely gratuitous. An absolute drive-by by you, Jamie. Whatever. Look, he's a great. He's all, by all accounts a great guy. Didn't work out. Didn't work out here in Vancouver. Congrats yeah. to him on the contract in Columbus yeah, and and his success in Calgary last. Absolutely. Season. Anyways, uh, yeah, we'll talk more about OEL, the minutes thing. Uh, I want to play a clip from Elliot Friedman as well today, talking about. What moves could be on the horizon for the Vancouver Canucks? Uh, plus more of your texts. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance here with you live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Cam Sharon is going to join us at 1 o'clock. Before that, we mentioned it just before we went to break there, uh, Drancer. The the issue or the case of Oliver Ekman Larson's Ice time, specifically at the end of that game. Overall as well, but uh, obviously not getting those shifts late in the third period with the team clinging to a one-goal lead. And it's uh, it's been a real struggle for Oliver ekman Larson this year. Uh, his performance has dropped off so dramatically from what we saw in his first year in Vancouver. And I'm not seeing any signs of hope on the horizon either i'm not seeing a player that i look at and think oh man they're just on the cusp of turning it around right now or or i don't even see a player who i'm thinking is battling like injury you know like i don't even see that uh passes are hitting his stick like they're like they're rocks like the puck's a rock um i don't know like i don't i honestly don't have an answer beyond just sort of waving the yellow (laughs) caution flag um strenuously by the way Right? Like you can see the sweat <laughs> from how I'm waving it. Uh, because, look, this is year two. There's four years left after this one. Four years left. 7.26. He has to be better than this. He yeah. has to be. He has to be. He has to be or this team's going to have to consider really bad options, like buyouts. I've, I've been reluctant quite, to... Quite kind of endorse the idea of a buyout this summer just because it's so many years. Yeah, but you get so, so much many years of space if you do it. You do. But here's the thing. If this team is ever does decide to do the rebuild, and we'll talk about what might be coming next, it doesn't seem like we're on the cusp of that either. I think you got to stomach it at least for one why, more year after this. Why would we ever be on the cusp of something <laughs> sensible from the Vancouver Canucks? To me, you do the buyout now. Again, if you are trying to immediately improve the team next oh, year no. and the year after that. I disagree. That. I disagree. The you get 12 million in cap relief. And by relief. now and by now I mean next summer. Yeah, but you get you get 12 summer. million in cap relief the first two seasons. You can do a ton of work accumulating with that cap space. But you also put dead money on your books for 4 years when you're pr- presumably hoping to be good. Hoping to be coming up. Hoping to be good. No, I, that that's tough. But so if you just do one more year and you knock a year of the dead cap off, that's that's what I would be trying to do. Trying to get through it for the one more year. The cap benefits then smaller. The cap benefit gets smaller and smaller the longer you go because it's a front loaded deal. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, Man. he needs to figure it out. Like, he needs to. It's crucial for this team 
that they get more out of Oliver Ekman Larson than they have to this point in the season. Through 17 games, it's been really bad. It's been dreadful. And he's a good player. I believe that he can be closer to what we saw last season again. Um, I just there's just not much going on there right now. And Snoop the Dog texts in, uh, could management just bury him in Abbotsford for cap savings? Nope. And they can't because he has the full no-move clause, so he can block any uh, any move to place him on waivers, any move to send oh him boy. down to the AHL. So you don't even have I – mean, that was such a common discussion with Louis Erickson, right? That, to, that's to not have, a lever you can pull with, with Oliver Ekman Larson. To have that deal and the JT Miller extension in back-to-back summers – is why I talk about this club's options with the clarity that I do, right? Like, it, it's those compounding errors. It's 15.26 locked into those two guys at this age and stage, right? Where where this is probably, like, when I say this is probably the best we're ever going to see this Canucks team, like, this, this is probably the peak of this configuration of the club. Very, very likely. Overwhelmingly likely. <clears throat> when you combine the way that those deals are likely to age with the lack of prospects with the lack of cap space, like with the fact that Pedersen's going to be more expensive after this season and Bo Horvat's expiring. I mean, it's so grim. It's so grim. And, and so, you know, for me, dramatic action is essential. Absolutely. Like absolutely essential. Um, for me, the, the idea of a coaching change, which is on the tip of the tongue mm-hmm. everywhere, because the most plugged in guys in the sport keep talking about it. Um, you know, I think the road trip was probably so poor in terms of the performance, like two, two and three on a five game road trip with back to backs in Toronto and Boston, not necessarily a disaster in a vacuum, not a disaster, not good, but not a disaster, but to watch this team play. Oh, and that, and look, I, I said it on the show yesterday that the performance in Buffalo last night was not going to change anything or shouldn't change anything, certainly about how that road trip was perceived. But instead, it in fact emphasized even, even in a winning, even with a winning result, it emphasized whew, just how far away this team is from being passable. Was that a sigh? Does that qualify as a sigh? I was trying I think, to make it through my the whole program I, I without a sigh. That, I think that qualified as a sigh. Only 90 minutes to go. <laughs> Missed it by that much. <laughs> I made it one segment. You made it one segment. Well, it's one. Once we start talking big picture, I get so uh, I get I I you know I don't get down because I don't take it personally. I'm yeah, not emotional yeah. about this, but it's just so clear to me. You know, I get frustrated. I think those are frustration size. I get frustrated because it really just doesn't have to be like this. It really just doesn't have to be like this. And as we're sitting here talking about and waiting for and hearing reports of what's likely to come next. It's all rearranging deck chairs. Like, we're so far away from even hearing anything close to the right answer from the organization. That's that's what's, you know, like, I'm nervous about what the rest of this week looks like for this franchise. Well, and we'll see what happens. They play again on, today. Today, they have the day off. They'll practice tomorrow. They play against L.A. at Rogers Arena on Friday. You know, as I said on the show yesterday, once you have laid out the theory that depending on how the road trip goes, we're going to have to do something. And the road trip goes like that. You kind of have to do something. You kind of have to follow through on what you said publicly about the stakes of that road trip. You're lying in the sand. You do. Yep. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's coming. We'll see. I mean, obviously Boudreaux jokingly last night felt like maybe the win uh, kept him behind the bench for the foreseeable future, at least for the time being. Who knows what the next couple of days are going to bring, but it certainly feels like 
something has to come down the pipe here. I don't know that it can be just radio silence between now and Friday after kind of putting that hypothetical about the road trip out there and then having it go the way they did. But we'll see. We really have no sense uh, or no idea of what is going to happen between now and then. Elliot Friedman was on with Jeff Merrick, as he is every day this morning on the Jeff Merrick show. Uh, The topic of the Canucks came up, of course. Here's what Friedman had to say about some of the things the Canucks are working on right now. And I think, you know, we were talking about this yesterday and, um, you know, we've talked about this actually a lot about, you know, how we just think the whole Boudreaux thing is just, it's it's at the point of unfair. Like, make it say either he's staying or he's not and and just do it. Um, but uh, I, I think there's a lot more swimming under the surface there. I don't, you know, like, Horvat gets a lot of the attention because he's the unrestricted free agent having the monster season. Yep. But I think there's, I think they're, they've got a lot of other lines out in the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think there's uh, some of their players, I, I think they're still looking for defense. Look, like the number one problem with, uh, with Vancouver, I mean, aside from the fact that Demko has not been Demko, has been their defense. And I still think they're looking to fix that and add to that. But I, I think Rutherford and Elvin have a lot of lines out there. I, I think they've got uh, a lot of things that they're looking at and considering. And I think they're waiting to see what bites. So that's from Elliot Friedman today on Jeff Merrick. And the takeaways there, I mean, first of all, his commentary about it being unfair to Bruce Boudreau, which I agree with. Agree, I think something needs to be either you have to say we're not making a change and we really mean it or you have to make a change because we've talked about it. His mood and the pressures, all of it. It's just and to me, it's just. It's not how really good NHL teams operate, right? To do this to a coach. So you got to do something one way or another there. I like the comment, uh, see what bites. You know what always bites the Canucks? Reality. That's this organization's biggest issue. 10 years, well, 10 years they've been at war with reality. And the thing, look, it's great to have <laughs> have your lines out there, as he said, you know, have a lot of irons in the fire, be trying, seeing what's out there. That's great, doing your due diligence. But when I hear that they're looking to add on defense still, it just feels like they're asked, they're still asking the wrong questions because okay, they've, we've they've so, done it three we've times. We've seen the Dermot deal. We've, we've seen, seen the Stillman times. deal. We've seen the Bear deal. Have any of those things changed the reality of what this team is? And and I yeah, I'm familiar with their past work on this file, and I'm not a not, are we not just going to are we going to keep doing the Bear and Dermot deals? <laughs> right, like at a certain point, the problem isn't. A lack of five, six defensemen, of bottom pairing defensemen who can maybe in a pinch play in your top four. They have those guys. They have those guys. Are you and are you going to find meaningfully better options in season right now when the whole league perceives you as desperate? And if you do, what are you sacrificing? What are you giving up in order to bring in those meaningfully better options? So when I hear it's oh well, we're trying to improve the defense right now. That's not the que- that's not the problem that needs to be solved. That's not the question that needs to be answered. It's about the blue line 3 years from now, 4 years from now. That's what you should be trying to set up, not bring in another Ethan Bear and and I'm not trying to dis- disparage Ethan Bear. He's a good player, but there's only so many times you can do that. He's played okay. I don't even know that he's played okay. I'm not even, I'm not commenting just think... in his Vancouver time. It's like just overall. Yeah, he's a good, I like he's him, good at NHL I player. like him as a bet, for sure. I certainly like him as a bet to increase his value over the fifth that they paid for him, you know, over the course of this sure. season. Or should he be? Qualified? And so that and and that that's a that's a good kind of 
maybe unintentional or intentional counterpoint to what I was saying. Because, look, I get it. Hey, if there's a deal out that you think is positive value, right, and yeah. you increase the value of an asset, sure, but, go do it. I have no problem with that. But, of course, teams don't actually think like that. Teams don't think about, like, p- buying players, like, buying stocks. They just don't. That's just not how teams – that's how I think. But, you know, I'm a gambler. <laughs> like, that's how – that's, you know, that's how the business world thinks. That tends not to be how hockey teams think. We don't often see, like, a lot of pump and dump – activity from nhl teams over the course of a season but yeah you know i'm gonna say this directly into the camera (laughs) the canucks have convinced us i think that they can acquire third pair defensemen by trading draft picks we believe you we believe that you can do that you've proved it the test is can this organization set themselves up to get the first pair guy or the second pair guy from a really good team that's got cap issues and needs to make a difficult choice, a la Taves, Graves, Marino, Erhoff, Letty, Boychuk, right? People love to say, people love to say, when we were talking about this last season, well, the Devon Taves trade only happens, you know, once every, I just gave you six examples from the last 10 years. It happens a lot. Happens a lot. Nate Schmidt. Canucks did one of these deals, frankly. (laughs) At some point, this organization needs to set themselves up to make the home run deal, not trade additional futures to teams who are willing to trade what I'd call like tweener top four guys, right? So youngish, but not really young. Young Youngish guys who are probably third pair guys, but maybe... If things break right, they can play on the second pair. Maybe. That's sort of the profile that the Canucks have been shopping in. That profile will not suffice considering the holes elsewhere on this roster to build a defense core good enough to win. It might have worked It might have worked in Pittsburgh when you had Crosby and Malkin, right? When you had Kessel and Hornquist and Latang, sometimes, right? This team doesn't have the defensive infrastructure, both in terms of what else is on their blue line and what they have down the middle, up front, and what they have on the wings up front, to put to insert a Justin Schultz and get the most out of him. Like when was the last time we saw a defenseman come to Vancouver and be the best version of himself? I, like you have to go back to when the twins were still playing for sure. For sure. Right? Eh. Yeah. The other thing with I, that... I just want to see them get serious about be- rebuilding this blue line. It's not making those types of deals. It's not shedding a garland for another tweener top four guy, even if he's like 23 or 22. You know, like, it's not, that's not moving the needle. The other thing is with those that type of profile of player, like Ethan Bear and Travis Dermott, you know, and I think that you said it well. The third pairing guy who maybe there's a little bit of upside can be your number four if things break right. Those guys are available quite frequently, right? <laughs> like it's not hard to find those guys if you're willing to give up a third round pick, a fourth round pick. Those guys are out there on the market. You can get them in free agency. You can find that player in a lot of different ways. I'm not sure what bringing in another one is going to accomplish. And by the way, I mean, who are you? Let, let's say hypothetically you do do another deal along those lines, who are you taking out of the lineup right now? Because the guys who are 
you know, theoretically your kind of fringe defensemen at the moment, Kyle Burrows and Luke Shen, are also the guys you're leaning on to close out games right now. So are you prepared to sit a Tyler Myers? Are you prepared to sit prepared to sit an Oliver Ekman Larson? I don't know. But again, the problem with the Canucks blue line has not been and definitely hasn't been this year that they don't have enough third pairing or below guys. They've got lots of guys who can credibly be third pairing defensemen in the NHL. And who knows? Maybe, you know, Elliot Freeman says they're looking to do a lot of different things. They're looking to add defensemen. Maybe it's a more high profile move. Maybe it is a move for a guy who's 23 and has that legit top four. Guy who can you can picture being a fixture on that side for five, six, seven, eight years. That would be great. I can endorse something like that, provided it's the right player, provided the cost is appropriate and all of that. But when I hear, oh, man, this team is really struggling on defense, we need to add someone right now. Again, it just seems like they're asking the wrong questions and they're focused on improving the defense this year rather than looking at who's going to be a part of a rebuilt blue line in three or four years down the road, which is what they need to be asking, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the problem, right? And I think we saw that play out this offseason, too. You know? Now, I do think there's an, a, a dawning realization that, in fact, this team is further away than they'd hoped. They've made some costly errors, however, already in pursuing that quicker route. You know, I think Jim Rutherford's a really smart guy. Made a ton of errors in that first year in Pittsburgh, and then everything worked swimmingly for like five years. So, you know, I'm not out of patience by any means, but I do think, like, it's coffee time. It's time to wake up here, right? It's it's time to stop thinking that you can adjust this team at the margins. Do you remember the quote at the end of last year? If you bring in the right two players any given season or bring in – or send out the wrong two players any given season, that can take you from being out of it to being a playoff team, right? The Canucks are not two players away. Even if those two players were like top pair, like say it was Ryan Pulock and Adam Pellick are suddenly dropped onto the Canucks, I still don't think this team's a contender. Truly, I don't. I still think you're like, well, okay, now we you still need a right-handed centerman and another top-line winger at, at the very least. You know, I still think your piece is away. You're still playing Myers or Ekman Larson in the top four. You know, I, genuinely, genuinely, like, I think you could graft a top pair onto this team and you'd still be a bit away. <laughs> that's that's the situation. So, one of Do you the- disagree with that? You do. No, I don't really. I mean, it depends on the players, but they would need... We had somebody text in in the first segment about... Uh, the defensive awareness of the forwards, and that it's a it's a big problem. Th- that's become really hard to ignore. And Yannick Hansen talked about it, right? Like, okay, I love their scoring talent on forward, but they need guys who can kill penalties. They need that two way intelligence. So that's what I would say, right? The is you're still missing yeah. the defenders can't attack. This was the construction issue we were talking about going into the season, and it's become extremely evident. It was extremely evident last year. But it's more evident now. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, no, it is. no, it's not. It's not. It's, Hold on. It's not more evident simply because they're not getting 940 goaltending. Like, it's not. It really is not. I think they're I think they're independent of goaltending. I think their defensive play has been worse this year than last year. Yeah, no, Take it Take goaltending has. at it. It has. No, no question. So that's what I'm saying. 
Yeah, but it was. It, I'm saying it was evident from a construction basis before this season. Uh, bef- it really was. It was, Jamie. I said it was more evident. I didn't say it wasn't evident last year. Anyways, uh, more evident is probably one of those words that like exists in a binary state. Like it can only be so. Uh, more evident is probably grammatically incorrect. But anyways, right. Um, <laughs> Just wanted to get that in <laughs> like there. Like more a unique? Little, uh, yes, exactly. Uh, a little bit of pedantry. Um, before we move on, and we'll, we'll pedantry talk to- and on and this gr- show and gratuitous what and gratuitous good Branson drive-bys. Like here, man. That's I'm, you. You knew that I was tired today. You're catering the show to me. Got to pick up. Got to pick up the slack a little bit. <laughs> I did. I did like that. You're like I'm not going to rant today, and then I almost set you off on one there. Uh, but I'll cut it off here because I did want to ask you about. <laughs> I did want to ask you before we get to Cam Sherrod. You mentioned. It's just in passing when we're talking, building off of what Friedman had to say about what moves could be coming, about the possibility of, okay, because the, the thing that's been, yeah, I know Hamannick went out and then they flipped that for Dermot, so some money leaves that way. Dickinson and Stillman, but you have to give up a second. But generally, we haven't seen that big, a big salary going out type of move. Do no. you get the sense that that could be forthcoming at some time in the near term here from the Vancouver Canucks? Oh, I'm sure they'd love to do that. You know, that that's not easy. They'd have done it already. Yeah. You know, the, the Hammonick deal was a home run. The Dickinson deal was not. Well, maybe a bunt. A uh, bunt that failed to advance the runner. <laughs> um, Teoscar Hernandez, by the way. Yeah, is Cam going to roast us for that uh, one? He should. He should. How, ma- how many... How many- Days of my year can the Seattle Mariners I looked ruin? At, I went, obviously, you know what you do. They, you, they acquire a player, and I go to Fangraphs, and it's like, his fastball like, tops out 93. I know. Are it's you, not ki- like are you kidding me? Munoz. Are you kidding me? I know. I'm, I'm not happy about it. Anyway, sorry. We're, we're on a tangent. <laughs> I was just like, as, as we were about to embark on another conversation, I was like, I'm going to think about something else that's also making me unhappy today. <laughs> uh, my lost sunglasses. Very deeply disappointed uh-huh. about that. The Teoscar Hernandez deal. Yeah. <laughs> and the Canucks defense. And, well, and I mean, the con- the construction of this team, the construction of this team and the work that's it's going to take to reset it, which it just doesn't feel like the organization's even on the brink of really acknowledging, right? Deck chairs. We're at deck, we're at deck chairs point now, right? Where we're talking about, you know, there's the lines in the uh, fire to bring in uh, some defensive help. Like, what? I want meaningful defensive help for this team. I don't want another flyer on a tweener top four guy. If it's a def- if it's a defenseman that you feel really strongly will also be helping you in 2026 and 2027, all right, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. If it's another guy who, by the way, Dermot and Bear are both RFAs this year. So you don't even have cost certainty on them. You don't know what you're going to be paying them. You don't know if they're going to be around. Are they part of your long-term plans? Dermot, I mean, hasn't been able to stay healthy, hasn't been, get, able, uh, been able to get a ton of action. So how much have they been able to evaluate how he fits even? Again, you can only collect so many of those guys before there's rapidly diminishing returns on adding more of them to your organization. Again, somebody that you're like, okay, this is our this is our guy next to Quinn Hughes, or this is our guy in our second pairing, and we're paying him right now? Great. Other than that, what? It's going to turn the season around this year? The Canucks have sent out three draft picks now to gamble on these guys and have yet to find one that can outperform Kyle Burrows or Luke Shen. Is that fair? Is that dead on or not? 
I'm tr- I'm just debating between Bear. But no, there's no debate. Come on. Really, who would you rather have out there right now, Burroughs and Shen? By a lot. Burroughs been this team's second best defenseman. <laughs> like we we need to accept that. I I don't know what else to tell you. Like Burroughs is as reliable as anyone on this team. He's also more effective moving the puck. I mean, it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, you know, a deal for a guy like a Chikorin or a guy like an Andrew Peak in Columbus, you know, 23-year-old guy or something like that does not move the needle for this team, right? And Chikorin, by the way, you might say, oh, that's a top pair guy. He's always hurt. He's a lefty. Like, that's not what this team needs. I just also, from the reports of what Arizona is asking for. Two firsts? I I, I don't see any world where it's <laughs> plausible for the Canucks. No. I have no doubt there'd bidding. be interest, but I have no, I, I just, it, the level that Arizona, the price is in a completely different bracket than what it would seem to me anyways, the Canucks have to offer for, for Jacob Chikrin. So I don't know. You would think. Uh, quick couple of quick texts here. First of all, minor Matt Nabbertrud says. So we got a text about the other two each about the other two things that are annoying you. Uh, minor Matt says, were they gas station sunglasses or designer? Designer. Okay. He says, if they are gas station, who cares? If they are designer, then stop buying them. <laughs> and Chet and Burnaby says, Drance. That's, that's a good take. Sometimes you have to lose a deal to win, buddy. Tao out. Judge in. <laughs> so there you go. Clearing up the cap space. Clearing up the space for uh, Aaron Judge. Let's Chet's take. I'm, uh, I'm more on the Nemo. Yes, bandwagon. the Brandon Nemo. Uh, two strong takes, two strong texts to end the uh, segment there. Cam who's, Sharon. Who's going to write the first Finding Nemo headline in Toronto sports media? I don't know. <laughs> Not going to say anything. Um, Cam Sharon from The Athletic, former member of the Leafs front office. He will join us next here. Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Strands. One more hour today. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. And we are both coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Cam Sharon is going to join us momentarily here. A regular contributor at The Athletic. Regular contributor here on 650 with us as well. And, of course, also a longtime member of the Toronto Maple Leafs front office. Now doing game tracking and analysis at CamSharon.com. Also, fantasy football seller. He's a seller. There now. you go. Ahead and also, on Friday. Uh, as we welcome him to uh, to the station, to the show, uh, a, a, a well-known Seattle Mariners fan, yeah. Cam. So are you prepared to pour some salt on me and Drance uh, on our wounds after the Teoscar Hernandez deal here? Well, you know, for those of you that subscribe to my website, uh, you might have noticed I haven't posted the recap to uh, the Sabres and Canucks game yet. And the reason is I'm a bit delayed because I've spent – most of the morning going through Teoscar's swings and just how pure it is and beautiful. And I'm very excited to and, see the Mariners add another and, bat. And a great guy. Great personality. You guys are going to love him. Fun team. Adding another fun guy there. That's all. I, it's it's a tough one. Yeah, I hate it. Now, the, the one problem I have is that 
one of one of our uh, one of Mariners fans' bits of ammunition was Teoscar's fourth inning curtain call during Game Two, <laughs> and I don't know if we can use that anymore as as you know to bait Blue Jays fans. Uh. <laughs> I I caught up with a friend when I was in Toronto, an old friend from university, and he was talking about how much he enjoyed going to Blue Jays games, and then he stopped and his like face turned a little pale. We're like several drinks in, and he starts recounting his experience at game two. And like, I swear, he was like, it was like someone confiding in you, like this secret, like getting a weight off their back. I felt so bad for him. It honestly, his recounting of it made it seem like a super traumatic experience. And the worst part is, he'd placed a Pascal's wager on the Mariners to win. So that he'd uh, so that so he places a hundred bucks on the Mariners to win before he goes to the game to cushion the blow should the Blue Jays um, should the Blue Jays lose and as they're up you know eight one or whatever he cashes it out. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> amazing! Oh, I felt so bad for him. Truly amazing stuff. That's what? when you double down down on the money line. Yeah, you know, 100%. I'm not a gambler. <laughs> uh well enjoy Tay Oscar Hernandez. Uh I'll have my fingers crossed that uh whatever the minor leaguer the Jays got turns into something. Um But we'll move on to baseball. We'll move on to baseball here. Or sorry, we'll move on from baseball to hockey cam. Uh so as you mentioned, you haven't been able to publish uh your your analysis and your tracking stats from the Buffalo game last night. Can you give us a little bit of a, a sneak preview of what what you made of that game and uh, that the Canucks ultimately end up winning five four? Um, they're looking quite a bit better off the rush this game, I've noticed. Um, that was a big... How, a big, how deep in are you? I'm only, you know what, I'm only just starting the second period. Uh, one pro, yeah, so they've actually generated a few yep. chances off the rush so far. Uh, there was even one play where uh, Pedersen just kind of broke away with speed, passed it off to Ilya Mikheyev, who just kind of bobbled it. Uh, they could have gotten another chance uh, had Mikheyev held onto it properly, but... You know, they've looked a little bit better breaking out. And, you know, part of that is due to Buffalo not being a great defensive team. Whereas, uh, you know, I, I know people don't like to hear that Toronto is actually pretty good at defense, but they're top 10 in shots against and scoring chances against and goals against. So, you know, they, they are. Uh, they're very good at defending the rush, as is Boston. And, you know, the Canucks are still going to have some trouble kind of breaking through those teams that kind of know how to press. And that, that's kind of the way that – that's kind of the blueprint for beating the Sabres, who are a good – fast team with a lot of offense is you have to kind of go pound for pound and and rush with them and and you know out out goalie duel them and get some pucks past uh you know i think that their goalies are a little shaky and craig anderson and Eric are comrie i think it's their backup um so you know i think that they've been playing kind of the way i'd expect uh, a team to to beat buffalo uh, and i i watched the third period not tracking last night i'd, I'd done two games earlier in the day so uh, so just kind of uh, just had it off and, uh, you know, sound off sort of thing. And and they look good. Like, I, even though Buffalo got a few shots coming, you know, uh, got a few goals late and made it close, I thought the Canucks were fine. And, you know, but, you know, the, the Sabres are a team they should be able to handle. Uh, any team can kind of skate with them. So we'll have to see what they do against uh, better opposition as uh, as we go forward. Enjoy the second. <laughs> the, I will. The, the rush defense on this in the second period is the tell that you are in fact still watching the Vancouver okay. Canucks. All right, <laughs> let's talk about the first. You've talked about the rush defense, but but here's what I want to ask you, and you're going to get even more um, ammunition 
once you see Jeff Skinner's goal in the second period. Okay. All of Reckman Larson. What are yes. you seeing on this road trip, and how is his game trending? Because he played the fewest minutes of all Canucks defensemen last night, and if you watch the third, you'll, you'll have noticed he didn't play any of the last four minutes as the club tried to hold a one-goal lead. Are there any silver linings to take from his performance? I think with Ekman Larson, kind of the minute reduction and the fact he's not facing the toughs every shift with Tyler Myers has really helped him. And mm. he's been actually, I, I thought he was very good at puck management in Toronto and Boston. I don't think I recorded a single defensive zone turnover for him. And for those of you kind of following my work this season, he's been one of the worst at actually handing pucks over to the opposition in the defensive zone. The problem, though, is that he's still getting beat so many times on dump-ins. Mm. He's just so slow. He's beaten to the corner, and he's not... He's not a good. He's not good enough with the with his stick or his body to kind of separate attacking players from the puck once once he's beaten. So, I, I you know, that's that's the biggest concern of my game for him. I think he's kind of gotten back to where he should be when the puck is on his stick, and he looks like he's playing effectively as kind of a like. I think he's kind of back to being like a bottom pair guy. Um, you know, not not a guy. You'd, you put on waivers right now, even though I don't think that you'd claim that anyone would, you know, no one would certainly claim them if he was on just because of the contract, but that, that's not what I want to get to. Um, yeah. I think he's been better with the puck and, and that's important. I think that, I think that you need guys in that, in those limited roles that can move it. Mm. Uh, I, I'd rather have that, you know, someone like that, than like that big heavy shutdown defenseman, like, you know, an Erica Branson type that you're just going to be wow. giving the puck up all the time. This is a tough show for Eric Branson today. Um, one, I ripped him earlier as well, Cam. Or not ripped like, him, but mentioned him in passing. But but yeah. you mentioned him in passing for no reason, like out of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, just like Cam just did. Like yeah, I, well, I, out I of nowhere. Third, there aren't many third pair defensemen that just can't handle the puck anymore, and he. So he's just the one that immediately comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Um, <laughs> let's move on. JT Miller. JT Miller. Yeah. Bo Horvat come out of that game as sort of Vancouver's heroes of the night anyway. Um, what are you seeing from JT Miller and where his game is at? Uh, how, how big a difference do you notice when he's back on the wing as he has been the last two games versus playing center the way he was in the first three games of this most recent road trip? I think part of the problem, like part of the problem is that the, the, the Canucks aren't getting enough offense with him on the ice and mm. that. That that line, whatever it is, it's you know, it's he's been with Horvat, uh, I think lately. Like yeah, Horvat Garland. It, yeah, that's yeah. Like they're not really generating a whole lot. And I, and I clipped something to Twitter from Boston where Miller came in across the line and it was a really uh, good, nice looking two on one, and he just fired a pass like you know three feet behind uh, Horvat's stick. And uh, I, had a, I had a guy reply to me saying, "Oh, well, it's a great, it's a great pass of Horvat the righty. He just missed by so much. It was I, like I." It's funny that he – I don't think he got a five-on-five five assist in this game, but it's funny that he hasn't. He's actually, like, been setting up a few chances. And I, I actually got a reply on Twitter yesterday, uh, someone telling me to watch the games, uh, just in relation to, uh, how, you know, I don't know. How many chances Miller's setting up, and you're like, I actually have it recorded. I actually know exactly how many that is. <laughs> so how many is it? This, how many is it? Uh, coming into this game uh, – 
Oh, wait, he's a, his name isn't Martin, is it? No. <laughs> uh, coming to this game, it was 11. So his teammates have been stopped on seven of them, and they've missed the, putt, they've missed the net on four more. But that's not and that just, many they, over 17 games yeah. for a guy who gets that type of ice time, right? No, but it is it is yeah, he's fifth on the team in total uh in total scoring chance contributions. I don't have it broken down by by yeah, race yeah. yet. So, but but yeah, he you know, he's not he's behind the rest of the the kind of top offensive but, players. But the rate the rate is going to hurt him. Like that it's it, he's not going to move up because of the rate. Exactly, and he's also like like compared to Pedersen and Kuzmenko and Garland and Horvat, he's behind all those guys. And you know, he's close in overall chance contributions to Vasily Podkolzin who you know, I've really liked this year. He's fallen down the lineup. He's all, you know, he's been kind of uh, hit, you know, hit with, you know, bad percentages luck. Um, you know, as in, I don't think he has a goal yet. Uh, at, at, uh, he does, certainly doesn't have five on five. I don't know if he does that at, on the power play either. No. Um, it's, it, you know, he, I think Pod Colson's been very good. And it, and especially that, you know, that fight against Boston that he did, like I mentioned it in my recap, but, the fact that no one stepped up for Pod Colson when he got hit high and he stepped in for himself, I really liked that. And I was really upset that the Canucks didn't kind of pull ahead and play for him when he went off the ice bleeding like that. I don't know how long he's out for, but that's the kind of energy the Canucks need. They like, I'm, you know, it's weird for a stats guy to be saying, you know, that fighting matters or that you need to respond to your fight like that. But Having been with, having been with a team for eight years, you kind of get that visceral reaction when one of your guys goes and, and stands up for the team, and you want to see your, you want to see the team respond better. So, you know, Pod Colson had to handle a whole lot. He handled the demotion. He he still had ex- excellent rate stats at setting up scoring chances, just not the minutes. So the fact that he's kind of tied with Miller in terms of, you know, you know, in, in raw totals when Miller gets a whole lot more ice time is really telling to just like what, you know, you know, how little the Canucks first line has been able to generate. So, you know, that's a problem. And Miller's still a great power play player. So it's, uh, it, it's going to be tough to, to get people uh, to, to overlook the, the totals. Like he's getting those goals and assists. He's probably a point of game player, but the, the Canucks aren't getting enough at five on five, particularly with him on the ice. Talking to Cam Sharon here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. You know, you mentioned the the fact that nobody stepped up to help Pod Coles and he did it himself, and then there was no push afterwards uh, from the Canucks in the, in the wake of that fight. What else yeah. do you? You know, it's a, culture is such a buzzword and attitude and not, fight and not all the that. First time that's happened to Pod Coles in this no, season either. But yeah, but at the same time. I feel like it almost it becomes more noticeable because, as you said, not the first time it's happened to Pod Colson, but even just watching the games from the outside, it feels like we can kind of read a lot into the effort level and the commitment and the culture, for lack of a better word, uh, from the Canucks. What are you seeing in that regard, Cam? Well, yeah, and and I think I just kind of compare it to to my own experiences with you know a guy like Jason Spezza with the Leafs, like he would he he dropped the gloves in game four against Columbus in the bubble playoffs. Uh, Leafs were down three, nothing in that game. You know, they, they st- that was the game that they staged a late comeback won an overtime and say, and saved their season. And Spezza was getting hit as was getting it as all uh, that, that entire game. And no one else really was. And he, he dropped the gloves and he fought and, and it just kind of became like, 
it would have been an embarrassing thing for that to be his, you know, that was potentially his last game in the NHL and for no one else to kind of respond. And it, I think that there, there became a, well, let's not, you know, Spezza left it all out here. Let's not let this, like, let's not let that go to waste. So you see that a few times. And I think the Leafs were a pretty close, like close locker room when I was there. And I think when that happened, it was pretty rare to see a fight, but when it happened, you kind of want to see, you kind of want to see the the team do pick that player up because they're cause, you know it's really risky to fight. You can break your hand, mm. you can break your head on the ice. It's you know it's a really stupid thing to do generally. But when it happens, you want to see an actual you know a good response from your team. And you know one of the like it, it you you don't always see it, and that's kind of that's kind of why why a lot of analysts don't like fighting in the first place is because you don't always see that response, and it, and it comes down to just kind of the maturity level of the group and and taking it on themselves and that yeah that's something that you see from the outside like I don't I didn't see the Canucks do like change anything about it I didn't see like John Shorthouse kept mentioning when AJ Greer was on the ice and no one's challenging him no one's standing up for Pod Colson who went off the ice bleeding and it's really noticeable it's it's almost distracting like like Ackman Larson going back to retrieve a dump in Shorty beseeching. <laughs> yeah, someone do something, please. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about Ethan Bear really quickly because we've been talking a lot about uh, reports that the Canucks might be still looking for defensive help, and you know our, our sort of take is, uh, you know, we get it. You can acquire third pair quality guys with maybe some remote top four upside for draft picks. Like, cool, that's fine. That's not going to move the needle here. What have you seen specifically, however, from Ethan Bear? Because another thing we debated was uh, I was trying to explain to Jamie that for all the defenders that the Canucks have brought in, uh, they haven't brought anyone in who's been more steady than Kyle Burrows, which I think speaks volumes about this strategy. Where's Bear at in particular? Is he moving the puck more effectively than guys like Bear and Shen? Or sorry, Burrows and Shen. Well, yeah. So early on, uh, Bear had some really rough, turnover issues with the Canucks and he still does. So in the games I've completed, he's turned over the puck uh, 24 times in the defensive zone on 121 touches. So 20% of his defensive zone turnovers or of his defensive zone touches are turnovers. And that's basically twice as much as he'd want it to be for a good defenseman. However, you know, I mentioned this about, about Ekman Larson not being very effective going back and getting the puck uh, for a dump in. Conversely, Ethan Bear has been the Canucks' best defenseman in that regard. He's only been beaten to the puck once out of uh, 23 times when he's gone back to go retrieve it. Uh, so he's ma- he's more often than not he's made a very good pass. It's him and Kyle Burrows have been the best Canucks defenders at recovering those those shoot-ins. And just to my eye, he's been a pretty good in-zone guy. That's a tough thing to – I don't really have a good way of measuring that statistically with the things I track. So I don't – you know, I, I don't really have any proof of that, but he seems to be a lot more steady when the other team has the puck, uh, trying to break up that cycle and just kind of preventing those crossing passes. So, you know, he's a guy that I think could kind of turn into a top-four defender. Like he could, you know, and he, he has been used on first pairs before. So, you know, he was used on the top pair with Jacob Slavin as recently as last season until he got long COVID. So, you know, like while he might be a third pair defenseman uh, right now or with the wrong partner, 
there's there's move there's room for him to move up in the lineup, which is why I really liked the Canucks making that trade, and you know the fact that it's kind of him and Burroughs is, is being the best, you know po- probably the Canucks two best defensive defensemen this year. Just kind of shows how thin they are at the position, and I've you know I think lately I haven't really liked the way that even Quinn Hughes looks within the defensive zone. So you, you're kind of looking at you know, you have four or five playable defensemen right now and the rest are kind of replacement level and you see so many, you know, you see so many mistakes from players like, you know, Rathbone or Stillman when they go in the lineup or when they're playing higher in the lineup. And yeah, the team's going to need to get a couple more top four defensemen because hoping that Ethan Bear might be that isn't a good strategy and hoping that Travis Dermott can come in and might be that. Is also not a good strategy, especially because you know, I, well, like I have a lot more experience with Dermot than you guys do. Like we thought for years that he would turn into a top four defenseman, and he never did. He just never took that step. And I don't know why we'd expect it to happen in Vancouver. So when he gets healthy, he's just another one of those third pair of guys. I, I you know, you're going to have to get someone else, and I don't know if you have the, if you can really trade for a short term solution just based on where the club is. Cam, before we let you go, you had a really good piece uh, at The Athletic last week about the Canucks struggling to really generate chances on the rush. And, you know, something Drance and I have talked about a lot since we've been doing the show is the Canucks are not a fast team. They struggle to match up uh, with other fast teams. They don't have a lot of burners. Uh, you know, they signed McKayev partially to address that deficiency in their lineup. How much? And then, of... they, and then they don't even let him skate. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask. How much of their inability to create off the rush is about, like, actual foot speed, skating speed versus, you know, everything else, the talent, the ability to do it, the mindset, coaching, all of that. Like, it's you've got to be able to compensate for not having the fastest team out there, right? Uh, yeah, that's one of the issues, but there gotta, there's got to be other things that go into it, too, for the Canucks. Yeah, so one thing I noticed, one thing I did was, uh, was I looked at basically how quickly the Canucks moved the puck out of the zone with control when, you know, after the opponent shoots. So it's a really granular and nerdy thing to look at. I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, it's kind of my way to, to kind of – it was the best way I had of measuring how fast the team moved when the other team made a mistake. And the Canucks were about a second slower getting the puck out than their opposition has been. And I think a lot of that is due to structure. Like I've had some – I had a couple of, co- of ex-coworkers text me after the, after the game in Toronto – just asking has like has Mikheyev just always been like this? Like is that is that just what he is now? And I don't think like I don't think he's getting old. I don't think he's getting bad. I just think that he's not being put into positions where he can really show off his speed. And I think a lot of that kind of has to do with structure. A lot of that probably has to do with strategy of making sure that we're managing the puck properly after a rebound or after getting it in the zone, you know, and then then we break out as the defending team is already in position. And that's a problem that you're going to have to address. And if you need to create more offense, you're going to have to, you have to take those chances. And it was a really interesting thing uh, that I I noticed in your interview with Mike Gillis last week was how you're talking about how, you know, forwards, Mike Gillis was talking about forwards that know when to do that and know when to break out and be able to support the defenders. Mm. And I don't know if anyone's really been doing that. And that was a really, that was a really kind of light bulb moment for me. I don't think that they've really had that kind of 
support, you just kind of properly anticipate the breakout. And, you know, I, I always go back to, to how things were done in Toronto, but you watch a Leafs game and you just kind of watch uh, Willie Nylander and how he kind of sneaks out of the zone when he kind of anticipates a turnover. And that turns into a lot of partial breakaways or two on ones. He just kind of needs to, you need to take risks and that needs to be part of your structure. And it can look bad sometimes when it fails, but you also need to take chances to create space or give the, or give the opposition the feeling that something bad is about to happen. And that's not really happening with the Canucks. They're not, they're not putting that fear into the opponents. And I want right. to see a bit more of that. And that a lot of that needs to come with their speed. Well, this is one of those things, too. Like, I saw you had a really good highlight from a Pittsburgh Bruins game showing how Danton Heinen forechecking 100 feet away from where his team's defenders are prepared to squeeze permits them to get into a compact position to break up the entry 150 feet later, right? Because of the time yeah. that he gives his own team, right? And this and the duress he effectively puts on the opposition. It's like realistically this is a sport where you're always attacking and defending at the same time right the calculation yeah. the balance of risks is, is it interplay at all moments and for the Canucks if you're a team where the defenders can't move the puck well enough to threaten right the forwards don't get a chance to look good offensively or as good or as fast offensively as they could Right, I think you're seeing that with guys like J.T. Miller. You're seeing that surely with guys like Ilya Mikheyev. Only Elias Pettersson seems to be able to get going north regardless. And on the other hand, if you don't have forwards committed to gaining that extra second for your defenders or supporting them appropriately too, it makes it all look way worse in terms of your team's ability to prevent goals. Is that what we're seeing here? And and as I as I put it to you in that manner... It brings us back. Are we talking about personnel? Are we talking about structure? Yeah, that's always going to be the like that's that's going to be the question that we're gonna you know that we're answering until the you know either the end of the year or the end of Bruce Boudreaux's tenure here, which you know I don't know which is which is closer to come. Uh, we don't really have an indication of that, but yeah, and and it goes the other way too, like how. I think the Canucks have had a pretty good forecheck this year, but we don't really see that one guy in on a, you know, on a dump and change applying that pressure. And that mm. in turn does hurt the rush defense, which has also been pretty bad. Brutal. So, you know, you're, you're right. Like it's, it's just such a, you're always attacking and you're always defending at the same time because any turnover at any area of the ice can turn into a scoring chance for either team. It's hockey is really the only sport like that. If you turn the puck over, and the attacking third in soccer, mm -hmm. you're not necessarily defending right away. You, there, you you see a you see a few breaks, but you know usually if you see a four on four breakaway, it turns into a six on six or six on seven by the time the attacking team is actually in position to take a shot. And that that's a lot different in hockey. So you need to apply. You know you do need to be a bit more aggressive. And you do need to skate. And yeah, like I. That's the th and that's that's the thing I keep coming back to with Ilya Mikheyev is how little I see him actually break away and and turn on those burners and because I kept telling everyone here he's one of the, he's the fastest guy in the league that's the one thing I was sure on in the offseason is he's the fastest guy in the league how often have we have we seen it uh, like we've seen it 
three times over the last two weeks or something where he's truly break broken away. And you just need to get him in those spots to do it and also kind of encourage it and get him chasing after the opponents in the, in the other zone and using it as a weapon on one side and drawing some defenders over. So yeah, like it's, I think a lot of it is like, you know, my, my, my theory on structure of personnel is that it's a bit of both. I think, I think that they don't have the personnel to play the way they want. And I also don't think that the way that they're playing is, is really going to help them win games. Cam, always really appreciate it. We'll let you get back to uh, the Buffalo game. And uh, also, again, enjoy Teoscar Hernandez. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll enjoy, talk next week. Enjoy fist pumping. Don't hurt your shoulder, bud. <laughs> All right. Always a pleasure, guys. Yeah, thanks, Cam. Thanks, Cam. That is Cam Sharon. You can follow his work at camsharon.com, also a contributor at The Athletic. I did the uh, the Buck Martinez pronunciation of Teoscar Hernandez there where I just roll the, the the end of his first name and the beginning of his last name together. It just becomes Teoscar Hernandez. <laughs> won't be able to hear that anymore, Drance. For old it's time's sad. sake. Won't be able to hear that anymore. Oh, Love oh, that. The whole thing is very sad. Agreed. Uh, before we go to break, one final segment coming up. I do want to mention again the uh, Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am and Raffle. The Pro-Am is coming up. You can still get raffle tickets for the ultimate Whistler experience. You can buy your tickets uh, until Monday, November 21st at 10 p.m. Uh, CanucksAutism.ca slash Whistler. Really cool prize pack. Uh, again, the ultimate Whistler experience. Tickets on sale.now all the proceeds go uh to canucks autism network and this and the causes that they support so check it out again canucksautism.ca slash whistler final segment of the show coming up canucks talk sportsnet 650 Welcome back. It's Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show. Day off for the Canucks as they return home after the five-game road trip. They play the Kings on Friday. By the way, programming note, uh, tomorrow is the annual Canucks Alumni Luncheon, and uh, you and I will be broadcasting live from the luncheon, Drancer, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, and you can expect uh, some good interviews as some interesting alumni from the team's past to gather for the luncheon tomorrow. So we'll be looking forward to that again. Uh, you can hear us live from the Canucks alumni luncheon tomorrow on the show. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And, of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintec studio. I got to read this text. Uh, it really, really tickled me, uh, Drancer, when it came in. It's from... Uh, has who signs his name has rhymes with jazz. How, what uh, else would it rhyme with? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know, but I, I I always appreciate the help with the pronunciation. Okay. I want to make sure I get everyone's names as correct as possible, especially because I don't. <laughs> yeah, um, you always have me guessing. I know. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Because it's like I hear the names I, from I, you one way. I need to work on it, and then I'm like, wait, but I which is it? Anyways. Areas for growth. Sure. Anyways, so has rhymes with jazz. Text in, uh, Mr. Drance. So starts off on a formal note. Very Love respectful. That. Very respectful. Love that. He says, that Mr. Drance is my father. <laughs> Mr. Drance, I admire your depth of knowledge and passion for the Vancouver Canucks. Oh, thank you, Harris. Your, your opinions on the state of the team and what needs to be done are spot on. Oh, appreciate it. But I worry about your state of mental health. Hey. I hope you have a good hobby you can pursue and, hey, focus, on and focus your passions and energy on taking you away from the Canucks world. Signed, has rhymes with jazz the concern <laughs> the concern for your well-being 
is pouring into the Dunbar Lumber text line dress. That might be valid. That really, it's just such a heartfelt, kind, warm, respectful, sincere check-in on our guy Drance here. I'm not wired naturally to be the ranting absolutist. Like, that's not who I am. I'm the careerist compromiser by nature. By nature, that's who I am. Now, I'm also filled with hot wind, like a hot air balloon. Yes. But I tend to be, by nature, you know, like a schemer, a hustler, a compromiser. That, that That's my nature. I just think we've reached a point where that can't be afforded. Like, to compromise requires a level of, you know, trust right that the right things will get done mm. or that something at least approximating the right things might get done if you if you meet halfway i just don't have that trust in this organization to do the right things anymore like i'm just out of that and as i cover the team day to day as i'm around a lot as i see practices as i see every game as i talk to people involved you know i i feel a need to share my unvarnished view with our audience. Hustler. <laughs> well done. Well done on the lower third, producer Tom. Unreal. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, can we can we queue up the uh, the game? <laughs> um, anyway, truly, like, I think it's just been an adjustment in my approach, and it's, it's one born of necessity. You know, I believe that there's only one realistic path that can deliver this team from the depths that we're currently locked into and the year over year repetitiveness, the repetitiveness of those depths, right? These beats are the same. The performance is the same. The personnel can change. The coach can change. And yet the way that this team loses is the same. The way that this team performs is the same. The outlook is bleak and similar to what it's been certainly since the bubble, right? Since the bubble, and since the way that this franchise navigated the pandemic, I think they're locked into needing to blow this up, dismantle this significantly and with intentionality and with the flexibility to spend on losing. And it's hard. It's really hard. It's not easy to sell that to the people who cut the checks. It's not easy to sell that to a fan base. There's a reason why not just the Canucks go kicking and screaming down this path? But it's a, it's the boldest path. It's the only path in my view now. And so my flexibility has diminished as a result. I, I'm no longer willing to hear the other side. I'm no longer willing to pretend that there's a sensible path outside of this. There isn't. We It's one of those rare moments of clarity. Like, you don't always have them in covering a team, in doing your job, in life. In life, or professional or personal, right? I just think this is one. This is a moment of clarity. The Canucks won last night in Buffalo, and everyone who watched that game knows what this team is. Right? The Canucks could beat the Kings on Friday. They could beat the Kings 3-1. It could look like Pittsburgh. Oh, the Canucks have won. How many people, if, if that happens, how many? Oh, the Canucks have won three of the last six. And if you go back further... They've won six of their last eight. Yeah, three of their six of their last nine, or whatever. Three of your last six is not actually that. No, good. But it'd be six of your <laughs> yeah. last ten. Yeah, they've got a six hundred point percentage. 
700, it'd be 700 point percentage in their last 10 games. People will make that argument, but no one in this market's going to take it seriously. And at some point, you either reflect that reality, you address that reality, you grapple with that reality, you live with that reality, you process it, and, and you do your best to analyze the team on that basis. Or you enable this to be perpetuated, this to continue. You know, I, I don't want to be part of that. So, as far as I'm concerned, I may I may be losing it. I was gonna say I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure your reaction may, to Haz's text has improved your I, mental well-being. I, I may be losing it. I may be, but for me anyway, it feels like clarity. Is that sort of the key indicator that you may be losing it? <laughs> that you respond to a question about like. I hope you're okay. I hope you've got other things to, you know, occupy your time with and occupy your mental energy and your responses to <laughs> go go into a rant about the state of the Canucks. It's I, very fitting. I have lots to occupy my time. Um, mostly, mostly, um, mostly thanks to our friends at playnow.com, gaming on, on basketball results. And also I have a lovely dog. I'm very excited to see him. I haven't seen him in nice. 10 days. That's very I'm nice. I'm going to take him to throw a ball around. I, uh, somebody just... <laughs> texted the uh, uh, a YouTube link to the Rick Ross hustling music video <laughs> in response to you uh, being a hustler. Um, I don't have like a baseline because I've only really known you since we started doing the show together. So we've we were I mean we started doing the show and basically things the went off the off. rails rails right away for the Canucks. So we I've really only known you in the midst of covering kind of. Well, and then unfolding and then, bizarre Canuck season. And then the funny thing is, is that it immediately turned around, but my opinion didn't change. <laughs> and I took a lot of bullets for five months on a lot of takes, right? Like a lot of takes. And now I don't take those bullets anymore. For the most part. How different is the text inbox this season than it was it's at the tail end of last season? Very, very different. When we different. do our show. It's, it's, it's very, wild. very different. Um Anyways, but it's going to change again when this team my does, point is, I, <laughs> goes on a win streak. I can't answer the question of whether or not you're losing it because I don't have a baseline. So to me, you're just staying the same. Yeah, But think, maybe that, if I had known you five years ago, maybe I would be like, oh, I'm worried about Drax. I, 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 think, I think the nicest way you could put it is that I've always been a little bit eccentric. <laughs> that is a very nice way to put it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll keep track. I'll try to keep track throughout the course of the season, and you know we'll we'll, we'll get Haz. You'll, you'll be my buddy. We'll get Haz an update. Yeah, I'll, uh, I I mean I look maybe I do need a reality check. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean I I could be wrong. The other um, look, I'm either I'm either losing it or I'm not. I did want to. Uh, <laughs> there you go. It's a 50 50 chances they say. It's yeah. binary, and I like those odds. <laughs> yes. That's better than the best yes. bet you can place in a casino. Uh, Rager texts in. Drance has always been losing it. He thinks Messier's time here was actually good. No, I don't think it was actually good. I think, um, well, I don't think it was actually good. I think it's. I think he was better than people remember from a pure hockey perspective, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for. You know, so here's the Messier take. I'm just going to quickly Let's do it. get this. Let's do it. If you look at Messier's last season with the Canucks, like what's funny about Canucks history in general is that it has a habit of repeating itself. So at the All-Star game in Messier's last season, which was in Toronto, Messier was overheard telling a variety of reporters at the bar that he was going to get traded <laughs> at the trade deadline. Echoes of what happened with Ryan Kessler and Sochi, <laughs> you know, some 20 years later. 
And ultimately, Brian Burke is the GM at the time is such an absolutist about not waving, not asking players to waive their no trades. Like I won't do it. Mm. They can ask me. Um, that he doesn't move Messier. And if you go look at the game logs, Messier goes on this wild heater at the tail end of that season. Like from that point on, Messier goes on. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's something like. 27 points in 24 games, something like that, playing on a line with Marcus Nasland. And, you know, the face-off stats are through the roof too, right? Like he's winning like 60% of draws. He's playing JT Miller minutes. And the team, at the at the moment that, uh, that they hit the All-Star break, was like bottom three in the league. Bottom three in the league. And because of this heater, they start winning a ton of games. They end the, te- they end the season really strong in Messier's last year with him really being like the leading scorer by a fair bit over that time. And as a result, they end up with the 10th overall pick in the draft, which they surrender to Chicago for the Twins. Okay? What you you thought, you know, the Twins had a rough ride in Vancouver in their early seasons, right? Now imagine that the cost of that trade had been Danny Heatley or Marion Gabrick. Right? As opposed to Pavel Vorobiev. Pretty different. Mm -hmm. Pretty different, right? Like, there was a real chance, if not for Messier, that the Twins would have been in the Kessel, the Phil Kessel in Toronto spot, (laughs) having cost this team Danny Heatley, early career Danny Heatley, or Marion Gabrick. And I think that would have changed a lot. Like, I think there's a real chance that Canucks history is massively different if Messier doesn't, having sort of, you know, carried himself poorly for most of his tenure, conduct himself like a real pro in as his in the last six months as his deal is about to expire and carry the Canucks to, you know, a point where they only miss the playoffs by seven points as opposed to 20. I, I mean, I, I legitimately think what we experienced on Monday watching the Sedins go into the hall, uh, the whole West Coast Express era that came next, all of that I think is different, if not for that stretch of games from Mark Messier. That's my whole take. So I'll, I'll. It's a good take. My only Messier thing is, so the the ultimate knock against him is that stole stole the team from Trevor Linden and they traded Trevor Linden, right? Well, he was part of management. Yeah, but the thing is, Trevor Linden trade was amazing. <laughs> like, it was amazing. Yeah. Like Tom Tuzzi and Brian McCabe, who's the other part of moving up to draft the Twins. Uh, so like, yeah, it's yeah. A bummer in the moment, but that's. An incredible franchise-defining trade for two decades to come. So yeah. it's like, oh well, it, it delivers. It delivers Bertuzzi. It, del- it it part of it delivers the Twins because McCabe's in that trade too, right? Part of it also delivers Jacob Markstrom down the road because Luongo goes for Bertuzzi. So I mean, yeah, the the Trevor Linden trade tree. It's like it's just a lot of impact players. It's to just Vancouver hard for me to years. muster up bitterness about it because it worked out incredibly well. If all the if all the players busted. Then okay, I get it. I, I get that. Well, but it's like, well, there, it worked out pretty good. There was also this like messy moment, messy moment. Um, the the club fires Pat Quinn in the fall of whatever it was, nineteen ninety seven, ninety eight, and there was this moment where no one really knew who the GM of the team was. Like it was considered to be a shared responsibility between Steve Tamblini and Mike Penny. And I remember talking to Tony Gallagher when I was writing my book, and I was asking Tony, like, who actually made the Messier, uh, who actually made the Linden trade? Mm. And he was like, uh, between Mike Keenan, Steve Tambellini, and Mike Penny, <laughs> who do you think would be a big enough jerk to trade Trevor Linden out of Vancouver? 
<laughs> and I always found that to be a pretty compelling argument and, and basically wrote that in my book. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, um, enough about Mark Messier, although the inbox is now fired up. And as Rager said, he's the one who texted in about it. He said uh, he was he was just trying to make the world all right in the world again by getting people <laughs> angry at you in the inbox. He was just try- did trying. He, did it work? It did a little Give bit. Give us a sampling. Uh, just, uh, well, you, you do not, not under any circumstances much, have to, to hand, it, hand it to Messier? <laughs> yeah. Minor Matt just texts in, boo, Mark effing Messier. Uh, but not not as much. Not as much as you would have uh, expected. I do, I do like this. Jeff S. texted in, Drancer, if you ever want to hear the best Messier joke ever, please call me. And then he gives his phone number, which I won't repeat on the air. So we're getting requests to call for, for a Mark private, Messier for a joke. private Messier joke. A private call. Mark Messier joke. <laughs> there you go. Only, only, only three ninety nine a minute. Only in Vancouver. Only in It's like the movie Vancouver. phone. It's like, <laughs> what if Mark Messier crossed the road? <laughs> uh, Chet and Burnaby says, by the way, the Trevor Linden trade is the template for a Horvat trade. I mean, not wrong, but you can't expect both McCabe, no. Bertuzzi, and additional draft capital back. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I was thinking about this with uh, Matt Sundin in attendance at the Hall of Fame game and the Hall of Fame itself, the induction on Monday. You know, the Maple Leafs traded Wendell Clark for Matt Sundin, right? Like, those trades matter a lot, right? Having the stones to move out a player like that matters a lot. In the history of hockey, when teams have got those deals right, it's really established something um, for years to come. I mean, you can't be scared of it. This team absolutely cannot afford to be scared of it. By the way, uh, one of your uh, your favorite texters, Tanbeer, texts in. Says, Tanbeer, by the way, do you know we made peace? Well, I was just going to say, because he, as you referenced, you know, people texting in, trashing your takes last year. That was frequently Tanbeer. And well, he, no, but that's not why I did No, 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 but yeah. whatever. But anyways, he texts in, uh, the Canucks are who Drance thought they were. I'm not going to get fooled anymore if they win five in a row. Then he says, but now I, now that I am Team Tank, uh, the team will win more than they lose. <laughs> that's from <laughs> well, Tanbeer. Get off the tank, Tanbeer. That's, that's from Tanbeer. Do, 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 do us all a service. But yeah, Tanbeer, remember I used to talk over his text thing? He 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 apologized to me on Twitter, so now he's... Uh, He's not like I wouldn't say he's in my good books, but like I'm willing to let his. We can read his text. Yeah, we can read his without me without me legitimately like putting my fingers in my ears and going la 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 on the radio. (laughs) Well, there you go. He's on your side now. I know. Uh, The other the other thing I did want that that is a sign. By the way, that the world has turned upside down. You know, you know, I I didn't take um, Haz's text very seriously, but the fact that Tanbeer and I agree now makes me think that I should take a long look. (laughs) Going to reevaluate things. But at least he came to your side. You didn't go to hit. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know. That's even more concerning. <laughs> Whenever, if Tanbeer agrees with you, you probably should check your opinion. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is he moved to agree with you. That's true. But I, you didn't move to agree with him. But nonetheless. All right. Well, I, don't know. <laughs> I think just take it. Take the win. Take no. the win. Um, the last thing I wanted to say, and just. I, uh, will, I will look that gift horse in the mouth. Um. The last thing I wanted to say, somebody texted in, you know, just when you were describing a rebuild and specifically the the idea of spending money while you're in the rebuild, even though you mm. know you're going to be bad because that's how you acquire assets. And somebody texted in. I've lost it here because we're getting so much feedback, but something along About the lines Messier? of, uh, yes, and just in general, it's just mm. a grab bag, a real potpourri, I would say right Ooh. now. Um, and so, something along the lines of it's easy to spend other people's money. And that's fair. Like, there's a reason that it's hard to convince ownership because they're the ones spending the money. They're the ones cutting the checks. Somebody else texted in yesterday 
you know, one of the rare kind of not on board with a rebuild texts we get, basically saying, the thing that scares me about a rebuild is there's no guarantee it's going to actually work. It could be five years and then no payoff. That's true. And I want to make that clear. When I call for a rebuild, there's no, you know, you see those ads on on the, the internet that's like, one weird trick to lose weight. Just follow this. There's no one weird trick to win a Stanley Cup. Like, there's no guaranteed route for success that if you do these things, if you trade Bo Horvat, guess what? In six years, you're going to win a Stanley Cup. That doesn't exist. No, of course, of course, there's a significant risk of failure. There absolutely is, and I want to acknowledge you that. You have to be one of 32. It's That's the, the fair. The odds are massive. The comparison isn't, are you guaranteed if you rebuild? It's what are your odds relative to the current track? Right. That's the relevant comparison. There's, there's no guarantee if you take this fork in the road and walk left. But if you walk right, I can promise you, there's not going to be any fun. Like, there's not going to be any fun. The journey goes nowhere if the path remains stagnant. You have to fork at some point. And uh, and just the last thing, really quickly, on the uh, spend money thing. Mm-hmm. At some point, like, you're pretty limited in what you can do by the strictures of the NHL CBA, right? You have to be willing to avail yourself of every lever within it to efficiently amass talent if you're going to be a durable contender. And if you can't do that, you know, you're right. It is easy to spend. It's way easier to Monday morning quarterback it and spend other people's money. No question about it. But if you don't pursue these levers, like if you're not willing to pull all these levers with extraordinary discipline and you can't win and you own a billion-dollar property, I mean – I don't think I don't think we should just accept that as like, well, that's someone else's money. It's like it is, but it's also an NHL team in a top five revenue destination and a city that really cares. Like it's valuable because fans care. At, at least do the minimum. At least do the minimum to try and to try and give the people what they want. That's my view anyway. Uh, that is going to do it for us today. As a reminder, we're going to be live from the Canucks Alumni Luncheon tomorrow. Really looking forward to that one. Thanks for everybody texting in. People are offering uh, to have us text them for jokes and stories and calls. So always enjoy that. Uh, we'll see about that. But uh, the Hockey PDO cast of Dmitry Filipovich is coming up next. Again, we will be back tomorrow. Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650.